We want to welcome again to Chapel Hill, where our name is our mission, to love Chapel Hill with the heart of Jesus. As we gather together here on this Mother's Day and this Situation Sunday, um, we also find ourselves in the fifth and final Sunday of our teaching series on the book of James, titled Daily Living. Uh, message today, I just want to acknowledge we all are carrying things into this space. All inspired in the a week. It is sometimes just unbelievable. All that can happen from Sunday to Sunday, right? Lives come into the world, lives that depart from this world. And all that we carry between our lives, we enter into this space, which is a space of worship, a safe space that we can ask questions, that we can walk as a community, a beloved community of people who are following Jesus together. So wherever you are today, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you are in this space with us, and I, I hope that you feel the warmth of love in this community of Love Chapel Hill. This series has been about the practical wisdom of following Jesus daily, the day in. And so I want to encourage you, if you have not gotten to listen to all of the messages, you missed a Sunday somewhere along the way in this series, go back and listen. It has been absolutely amazing. Um, and Val, who have joined in this teaching series, have just done a phenomenal job of sharing the practical wisdom of following Jesus day in and day out. We've talked about what it is to have a walking, talking relationship with Jesus in the day to day. So we've explored through James 1 the trials and temptations that come from this world and the action then that that prompts from us. In James 2, we asked, what about faith without works? What is it? Dead. Dead. That's right. Good job. In James 3, we talked about the power of the words that we share, the words that we speak. James 4 talking about the world's way versus God's way. And sometimes God's way is not the way that we want to go. But he leads us with us in that. And so today in James 5, we're going to explore our own need for Jesus, our own need for patience and prayer. And so I want to wrap up this series some with some practical wisdom um, similar to how I started this series. Some of you will recognize the book, The Young Adventurer's Guide to Almost Everything. Um, just in case you missed that previously in the first Sunday of this series, it includes how to build a fort, camp like a champ, poop in the woods. <laughs> there are no bears. Yes, so I opened this with how to outrun a bear. Um, go back and catch week one if you happen to miss that. So. Wisdom for today, eating a bug. Here's something you may not want to know about eating insects, but I'm going to tell you anyway. 
You're all, you already are. That's because food manufacturers are legally allowed a certain number of defects in their products, which includes insects. For instance, an eight ounce handful of raisins might contain up to 35 fruit fly eggs and 240 pests are allowed in each 12 ounce bag of frozen broccoli. What we want to know is who's counting. <laughs> okay, fine. I never liked raisins anyway, and broccoli all that much anyway, you might say. Um, I'll just eat chocolate instead. In which case, you should know a chocolate bar is allowed eight insect parts. And no, <laughs> no, you don't get to choose which parts. Um, truth is, this isn't really such a bad thing. Insects are loaded with vital macronutrients of protein and fat. <laughs> it's okay. You don't have to cover your ears. And tasty. Ooh, ee, yes. You haven't lived until you've tried grasshoppers fried in soy sauce. Did you know that 80% of the world's population eats over 1,000 species of insects? Yes. Now you do. The majority of bugs are perfectly safe to eat. There are two precautions you should take if you decide to eat insects yourself. Don't eat any insects that are brightly colored. In general, such coloration is a warning to predators that they are toxic. You should also avoid hairy bugs. <laughs> there may be stingers nestled in that fuzz. Also, avoid any bugs that have a potent smell, except, paradoxically, stink bugs. Whenever possible, you should cook your insects before you eat them, since they may carry parasites or harmful bacteria that won't survive cooking. This is also true of meat, by the way, so don't think there's anything particularly gross about insects. Besides, cooking improves the flavor and makes the nutrients more digestible. Anyway, there are loads of edible insects out there. We're only going to speak of the ones we have actual experience ingesting. This is not me. This is the author's. <laughs> and didn't find utterly disgusting, like the earthworm that our son chewed up and swallowed when he was eight, had he just read, having just read How to Eat Fried Worms. So, five tasty tidbits easy to find, nutritious, and have tastes that are, could plausibly be acquired. Grasshoppers, crickets, grubs, wood lice, also known as potato bugs or roly-polies, oh, yeah. and ants. Your five bugs to be on the lookout for should you be looking to eat them today. If you are interested in picking up a copy of this book, I get no proceeds from that. I did link it to um, to a used bookstore on the teaching page there on Sunday, uh, the teaching section of the Sunday page. Just a little practical wisdom, and sometimes there are hard truths that we don't want to hear, but it doesn't change the reality and its impacts on us and those around us. So I'm going to invite you to just go ahead and reach over into your seat to grab that seat belt, pull it, up, it in. It's only a lap belt. Those are the chairs we can afford. As we read the scripture today, y'all, it is tough. It's a tough one, okay? So hang with me. Hold on to your seat belts. Here we go. Now listen, you rich people, and wail because of the coming on you. 
Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Yeah, this is getting good. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, in the face of suffering, take the prophets who, who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth, or by anything else, all you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Anyone among you, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Holy Spirit, you meet with each of us where we are, and we just implore you today. Meet us in the reading of your word, God, in the expounding on your words. Gather we together journey in community to be made in your image, to be shaped and transformed by the renewing of our minds. Thank you for being here with us today, Lord Jesus. We pray in your mighty and holy name. Dang, James. That's some hard language, bro. <laughs> We're saying bro a lot at my house. I've 
two middle schoolers, and it's like it's come back around. I don't know that I've said bro like this much in the last 20 years. But as middle schoolers bring it home, so dad picks it up. Don't you look forward to those conversations that start with the, now listen, <laughs> or listen here. It's like James puts on his dad voice in that moment. <laughs> My kids know when the dad voice comes out <laughs> and it's usually after saying bro. Um, it's rough, it is rough. But we take it and, and we hear that, now listen, or listen here. Oh my goodness, hello robins, fighting over a worm. Look at that. They are, both, they are both hungry and they're looking for worms. <laughs> Y'all, just so you know, like this intimate setting right now, I'm just imagining we're sitting around the campfire, okay? Like this is just the space that I'm envisioning that we're in. If you're joining us online, I hope you feel the warmth of that campfire as well. We can tune into this right after it says, now listen, and think, oh good, he's talking about rich people, not me. I have it on good evidence from my middle schoolers who are my expositors of the word as we read this together and like, how did this hit you? They're like, oh, it doesn't pertain to us. We're not. <laughs> what is this? Why are we reading this? We're not rich. But is that, is that really who he's talking to? Is it just those who have great financial wealth? We all have a different way of viewing to be rich. And probably the common thread for all of us we have is that we would describe it as somewhere beyond. That's someone else, right? The millionaire looks at the multimillionaire. The multimillionaire. Oh, look at the billionaires over there. They're the rich ones. But what James is coming down on right here, and he's coming down hard, is on something much deeper and much closer to home than just having a lot of money or possessions or wealth. We steward what we have. It's about how we've come by it and how we dispense it. Are we acting selfishly with all that we have or are we acting selflessly? If someone looks at our bank statements, look out, does it reflect our of Jesus or does it reflect love of something else? Does it reflect the generosity feeding the needs of those among us? Does it reflect my love of cookout? Even though they have the Psalms printed right on the cup, right? Like as holy as it is. It showed up too many times this last month on my bag statement. I'm feeling the conviction right now. Mm. This, he's just, Hear the harsh language that James is bringing to us. The description of what it looks like to put our trust in money. To put our trust, or really, yeah, our trust in anything other than Jesus himself. Trusting in our own ways. In a way that is earnable. 
attainable instead of the free gift of love, the free gift of life that comes from following Jesus. This is the same story as it unfolds in our creation narrative in the garden, right? Pride rises up. We think that we have a better way than God's way, so we do it. And we give it our time and our energy and our resources in pursuit of what we think is a better way. And so the wisdom literature, in the wisdom literature of Proverbs, we hear the echo of that here. That pride comes before the fall. What James is describing is this road that leads to ruin. The road that leads to destruction and to ultimately death. It makes me think of Jesus' words to the rich young ruler. We find in Mark chapter 10 that Jesus tells him to go and sell his possessions and give all that he has to the poor. But it says the man went away because he was a man of many possessions. He trusted in what he owned and so it owned him. Jesus says in that same place, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Jesus tells us, do not store up treasures on earth where moth and rust can destroy. Are you hearing some of the same language that James brings to us here? So then we pursue that object of our worship at all costs. And it doesn't just lead to our own destruction. It's not our own path of ruin, but it is a path that then affects the people and the world around us. That as we view other people as a means to achieve our own purpose, our goal, that thing that sounds right to us, and it brings about injustice, and it brings about oppression, When we think about the enslavement of people throughout the world's history, it's been about the gain of a particular race or ethnicity or holder of power. But I've never held slaves, you might say. But I have purchasing habits that can either continue to fuel the enslavement of children? Or choose to promote fair and living wages for our brothers and sisters around the world? It brings about for us the issues of the costs of food and the availability of food for those who have need among us. the injustice about how we care for the environment because we're looking for our own gain in this way that Jesus is telling us we are looking for what brings us joy, what brings us pleasure, what brings us the luxurious life that we are trying to achieve. But we do it at the expense of the environment. You think about our disposable and on-demand lifestyles that we 
see so often these days. Just as a side note, a couple of Indiana University professors recently released a study on how Americans can make an impact on climate change if we simply switch eating to eating insects as our source of protein <laughs> instead of animals and plant-based substitutes. Just eat the bugs and we can fight against climate change. It's just gonna get hot. <laughs> so we also, as we think about injustice in our midst, right, even how we support and advocate for affordable housing even in our own backyards. That we can become Yimbies instead of NIMBYs, right? That in our backyard, yes, we want affordable housing. And there are those among us, Darren, many of us who are leading the charge in this in our own community. But these are the signs that James is so brutally bringing to our attention. What it means for us to be walking in a way that is inconsistent with the way of Jesus, that is looking for our own gain. James has been keeping this consistent pattern throughout. In all five chapters, we see that he is highlighting our need, our need of Jesus, not just the rich person, not just the person who has maybe strayed along the way, but all of us, we are all in need of Jesus. It is the sick who need a doctor, right? Jesus came to heal. And so when we can find ourselves in that place of need, then we can receive. But when we stand in a place of pride, we are closed to that and pursuing our own routes that leads to destruction. So when we find ourselves in that place of need, we find ourselves receptive to Jesus. And so James has just described for us, again, what it looks like when our hope and our trust is put in anything or anyone else other than Jesus. I'm going to pick up in verse 7. There's this command to be patient. The edge of patience here, it is the farmer waiting on the land to yield its valuable crop, right? There is nothing that the farmer can do to make it grow. Wait for it to grow. Sure, there is, there is the, the help of water, things, but they come naturally. And so the farmer for the rain of the autumn and the spring. And so he implores us to be patient in the same way that we wait. We wait upon the Lord. And in waiting, he tells us not to grumble. Just like, I don't know about you, but I don't like waiting. <laughs> Traffic is like my worst nightmare. It's just sitting still. I will go minutes, if not an hour away, just to keep moving. I don't like to wait. And so in waiting, how do we not grumble? 
We're reminded that James is writing to the church that is under persecution. There in Jerusalem, and as it starts to spread across the known world, followers of Jesus are being persecuted by religious leaders and then by the Roman authorities. And so as he is writing, commanding them to wait, he knows the reality in. And so in order to build this cohesive community, to do life together, to support each other, journeying together in a way that we can foster patience and we can foster life without complaining and grumbling. Moment. I want to give you the moment. Just imagine a world without hurry or complaining. Can you imagine it? It's not my daily reality. I don't know about you. Maybe you found this somewhere. <laughs> but even just in the way that this day has started, <laughs> it is not um, the reality that most of us are walking in. James brings us to the example of Job. We often associate Job with patience. Perhaps more appropriately, we should celebrate his faith and his trust in God. God's compassion and mercy in the midst of every trial that these followers of Jesus were experiencing as they are being persecuted the trials that we experience of just trying to walk in his ways each and every day. Job experienced the little stripping away of every material thing, every human relationship. He complained a lot. He complained a lot. But he would not, even at the urging of his wife, he would not curse God. In his faithful persistence in the depth of loss and destruction, it was all returned to him. Twofold, doubled everything that he had, everything that he lost comes back doubly as he stands in faithful persistence before the Lord. James' reminder to us to be in that position of faithful persistence, no matter what the day may bring, that we trust, we put our trust in Jesus. Slipping on down to verse 12, James says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. All you need to say is yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Y'all, condemned and judging, like all in this, this whole chapter. Like, those are hard words for us. We don't like those words, especially here and now, right? It just, we have a reaction to those words. And maybe as 
a reading of one of the Ten Commandments that's like, don't take the Lord in vain, the Lord's name in vain, um, or you go to court, you shouldn't swear that oath on the Bible. Like that's not that is not where we're at here with James. In fact, he's actually mirroring the words of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 5, verses 34 to 37. I say to you, do not swear at all. This is Jesus telling the disciples, either by heaven, for it is the throne, it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem. Don't swear by any of those things. Don't swear by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black on your head. Let your word be yes, let your yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more comes from the evil one. Now we're like just going deeper into the pit. This is about the, your life, your life being a testimony, what you are about. If your life, if your actions line up with your words, then your actions already communicate loudly who you are and what you're about. And so if your actions are lining up with your words, then no additional oath, no swearing is necessary. Right? If, if you say yes, people know you mean yes because they see the fruit of that in your life. And if you say no, they know the honesty that flows through that. But when you want to swear by something else, isn't it conversely expressed, right? We somehow think maybe we're even, even projecting that our, our life is not lining up with what we say, and so we have to kind of convince somebody to go a little bit in that. When I think about the, the language then here of being condemned or condemnation, we can think of that as like a warden in the prison, like waiting for someone to step out of line right and to bring about judgment or punishment in that instead i think of it a little bit of the logical outcome path we are on i go for a hike in the woods after dark with no flashlight no headlamp and i'm hiking in the area of tall cliffs there's a logical outcome if I follow this path. <laughs> Thank you for the sound effects, Darren. <laughs> Lighten the mood for a moment. But right, this logical outcome, the path, at least I it is leading somewhere or we are stuck. And so that word of condemnation or judgment is, is the receiving. Receiving of that reward is the path that we are headed, the end result that is the reality. So like we started, right? Sometimes we don't want to hear the truths, the hard truths. But that doesn't change the reality. And so when we come to those words, it's okay. It's 
to ask, like, what is this trying to reveal here? This is not about God trying to bring some kind of judgment, some punishment. He gives us freedom to walk on a path. And so where that path may go, right, we want to be aware of where it is headed. And so that's what all of James, all of these five chapters is pointing us to. We want to be aware of the path that we are on and where it is headed. To bring it all home, I'm going to look at verses 13-18. There's a sermon in nearly every single sentence of this passage. And I could probably go on for a while, but I'm not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the summary together here. of this. If anyone is in trouble, let them pray. If anyone is happy, let them sing songs of praise. If anyone among you is sick, let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then he gives us Elijah as this ultimate example of praying earnestly. He tells us Elijah was a human being. He's as much human as you and I. And James assumes that the reader knows the story of Job and the story of Elijah. They would have been very familiar. But in this case, he gives us the quick version that Elijah prayed for it to not rain and it didn't rain, not just for a little while, three and a half years. And then when it was time, he prayed and the rains came and the earth then produced its crops. James is giving us the picture then of what it looks like when we put our hope and our trust in nothing but Jesus. No one but Jesus. We've flipped the coin to say, this is what the world looks like. This is what life looks like when it is all about me, all about my gain. To then hear, this is what life looks like in beloved community. When we do life together, when we are praying for one another, when we are meeting each other's needs. When we are caring for each other in a way that exemplifies the love of Jesus, just as in 1 John 3.16, where Jesus tell, or sorry, John tells us that we know what love looks like, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. In that space of beloved community together, we are able to confess our sins out loud to one another. Those things that hold us back, right? The things that keep us falling short of who God created us to be. That we're able to confess those things without fear or judgment. And confession is something that we Protestants often miss in our traditions. 
there's freedom in confessing and hearing the words of forgiveness. And I'm not saying the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church have it all figured out either. Stepping into a being able to to share those those confessions in that way. But there is an outward expression there and the freedom that comes in being able to say those things out loud. But instead, James is inviting us to do this in community. And he's not saying to go around the world spewing all of the worst of things that we've ever done to everyone we ever meet. I've met those folks who take it that literally, I don't recommend it. But friends, in the context of relationship, in the context of band discipleship together, if you are looking or a way to with people in this way, to exemplify the beloved community of support and confessing. The service, you can get more info there on the Sunday page of the website. But to learn together how we do in this way. A few practical takeaways for us. Like I said, today's scripture assumes the reader or the hearer. I want to encourage you to pick one of those or both of those over the course of this next week and just take some time to slow down and read it. Maybe on the paper pages of a Bible instead of a screen to slow down. Hear those stories, how we see God at work in them cultivating trust, cultivating community to walk in the ways that James is showing us here. Another practical expression is practice courageous generosity. There was a whole lot of talk about money or wealth and possessions at the top of this. And so to think about a love that gives itself away, right? Not a love that is trying to as much as it can, but a love that gives itself away. Take a look at your own personal budget or your family budget. What does it communicate about your faith? In a very, very practical financial model, if this is new for you, beginning a journey of financial health, to think of a system of 80, right? That as we see in the Old Testament, the idea of giving the 10% of the first fruits to the Lord, setting that aside from the very beginning to say, Lord, I just want to thank you. Back to you what comes from your hand. Take with it. Make a difference with it. 10% to save, right? Whether you're saving for retirement, saving for an emergency, saving for a rainy day. 10, 10, and then learning to live even on 80% of what we make, right? That we're not maximizing, maxing out our income, not going above and beyond into further debt. And if there's no condemnation, if that is where you are, but Jesus invites us 
to surrender that into his hands as well. So practice courageous generosity. The third thing, some time. Educating yourself. Educating yourself on where your trash goes. What are the recycling and brands available around you? How you can reduce and reuse the things that commonly just end up in a landfill in our disposable society. Even take time to investigate where your electricity comes from or how much you're using. They're all resources that we steward. And God invites us to walk in his ways and to steward those resources in a way that honor who he is and who he's created us to be. So if we're going to give our allegiance and our worship to something, friends, let it be Jesus. If we're going to follow or model our life after someone, let it be Jesus. His invitation to you today is simply to come follow me. He has showed us. He has showed us what love looks like. That love would go so far to lay to lay down his life for us. That he would take upon death that we could be death and invited to join with him in his resurrection to the fullness of life eternal. I've had friends in our midst today even who have experienced someone entering into that life eternal this week. And so as we take the bread and the cup today, we are reminded of the hope that we have of seeing them again, joining with them in the presence of Jesus. And so as simple as the invitation is to come follow, friends, Jesus invites you to come receive the bread and the cup. for you. See that the Lord is good. Amen. We do not have a gluten-free option this morning. Just a heads up on that. It is worm-free. It is is insect. Well, I'm not making any guarantees. Um, (laughs) But come and receive.